Now, are you feeling happy today? Hope so, given that you're sitting on a plane right now enjoying the award-winning Emirates service. But the avowed aim of my next guest is to make you feel even happier. Welcome to Mike Wiking, author of The Little Book of Luca, subtitled The Danish Search for the World's Happiest People. You're also the CEO of the Happiness Research Institute in Copenhagen. So, Mikey, welcome to Emirates World. Let's clear up one thing first. What does the word Luca mean? So, Luca is the Danish word for happiness. And my job, essentially my career and, and the work we do at the Institute, we revolves around happiness. So basically, we try to solve three questions. We try to figure out how do we measure something as subjective and intangible as happiness. Secondly, we try to understand why are some people happier than others. And thirdly, we hope to reach an understanding of, of how we can improve quality of life. So uh, those are the key questions. They're quite difficult. It's also why I'm going slowly gray in my in my 30s, or, or as I like to call it, executive blonde. <laughs> I can see you're a very happy person already. I think a lot of people Otherwise myself I get fired. <laughs> I think I'm going likewise, but I'm not, I'm not so happy about it than you are. So how did you get into this whole business of happiness? Did you wake up one morning and say, I have a, uh, a dream that everyone in the world should be happy? <laughs> I think I was... Just curious, curious of understanding why is it then that Denmark and the rest of the Scandinavian and Nordic countries always do well in the happiness rankings. Uh, but back in, in 2012, I was working for another think tank in Copenhagen focusing on sustainability. And I noticed how much was happening with happiness research and happiness and politics. So the United Nations passed a happiness resolution asking all the countries of the world to focus more on happiness. They started to publish the World Happiness Report back in 2012. You had different governments, such as the UK, starting to look at how do we measure progress, not just in terms of wealth and GDP, but also in terms of well-being and quality of life. And I thought, there's a lot happening with this field. There should be somebody in Denmark trying to pool all the knowledge there is. And then I thought, maybe I should do that. Uh, and... Um, so did you found the whole I thing? I did, I did. Uh, so so uh, it, it was a big leap because it, this was the, in the wake of, of the financial crisis and I had a well-paying, steady job. Um, and I thought it would be a little bit risky to start something as crazy as a happiness research institute. But uh, but then on the personal side, what happened was uh, one of my, my, my good friends and a mentor at the old uh, company I was working for uh, became very ill and died when he was uh, 49, quite quite suddenly. Um, and many years ago, my own mother had also died when she was 49. So I started to reflect on, okay, if you only live to see 49, what are you going to spend those years doing? Are you going to continue with this job, which is fine, but you're not extremely passionate about it? Or are you going to create this crazy thing called the Happiness Research Institute, which could also be a really amazing uh, and interesting uh, job? Uh, and two months afterwards, I quit. So is it just you now working at the Institute or no. do you have lots of people so working we're, with we're you? So we're 10 people uh, with a lot of different backgrounds. So a lot of us are political scientists. We have economists. We have anthropologists. We have psychologists. And that's also what I really like about the field, that every academic discipline can try and shed some light on these three questions. It's also a, a field and a, a set of questions that you and I can have a conversation about, but I can have a conversation with essentially everybody I meet. Uh, which is wonderful. And suddenly, 
every experience you have gets this extra dimension because every conversation you have, every movie you see, every book you read, every city you visit is a little piece of evidence in the puzzle you're trying to solve. How does the city design impact our quality of life? How does the way we design our policies impact quality of life? How do you know, family structure impact quality of life? So everything suddenly gets an extra dimension, which I think is, is a wonderful thing. Now, you've subtitled your book, The Little Book of Luca. It's subtitled The Danish Search for the World's Happiest People. Have you found them? <laughs> <laughs> Here and there, yes. So, so it was also... Um, it builds on my first book, which was called The Little Book of Hygge, which is also a challenge for, for some people to pronounce. But, but Hygge focused on a Danish phenomenon, which is essentially uh, the art of creating a nice atmosphere. It's about coziness, it's about relaxation, it's about savoring simple pleasures. And that's a key cornerstone of Danish culture. Uh, but with the new book uh, on Lücke, I wanted to make the point that Denmark doesn't have a monopoly on happiness, and we can find happiness around the world. So it's essentially a, a global treasure hunt for happiness, looking at the factors we can see, uh, for example, in the World Happiness Report that explains why some people are happier than others, and then looking for people and places and companies uh, and policies that are uh, improving that uh, across the world. Now, I think the most... Now, I think the question that most people would want to ask if they were fortunate enough to be sitting next to you, for example, on an Emirates flight somewhere, is how do you measure happiness? How do you go about measuring it? Um, it's not easy. Uh, but, but I think we sometimes mistake uh, impossible with difficult. Um, so, yes, it is a subjective term. Um, and... I think people often forget that we try and understand a lot of subjective terms. We also try to understand and quantify depression, stress, anxiety. Those phenomena are also about how we experience the world and our position in it. I don't see why it should be more difficult to try and understand positive emotions compared to negative emotions. Another challenge is that it is an umbrella term. So it's a quite wide term. You might have one understanding of what happiness is. I have another one. And what we need to do when we come across complex terms is to break it down and look at the different components. So if we talked about the UAE economy, we would also break it down and talk about inflation and growth and GDP per capita and unemployment rates. And that gives us an ability to understand how is the UAE economy doing. And that's also what we need to do when it comes to happiness. So we break it down and look at different components because happiness can both be taking a step back and evaluating our lives. So looking at, uh, for example, a scale from zero to 10, the worst possible life we could lead, the best possible life we could lead, where do we feel we stand right now? That's a very stable measure. Uh, people answer the same to that question today as they did two weeks from now um, or two weeks ago. Another dimension is how we feel right now. What kind of emotions do we experience on a daily basis, both positive and negative ones? And of course, those two dimensions are linked because if you have an everyday with a lot of positive emotions, you probably also report higher levels of life satisfaction. But they're not completely overlapping because you can have a really lousy morning and still feel you have a good life overall. And then ideally what we do once we've break, broken it down into different dimensions, and these were just some of them, ideally what we do is we follow people over time. 
So not in a sort of creepy, stalky kind of way, but in a scientific kind of way. So we would ask people questions continuously over perhaps a decade uh, and follow 10,000 of the passengers on the Emirates Airlines um, and, and see how changes in their life circumstances impact their quality of life. Because over the next decade, uh, some of our passengers are going to get married, some are going to get promoted, some are going to unfortunately get fired, some are get, going to have children, some are not going to have children. And I'm interested in seeing what is the average impact, for instance, of doubling your income or getting promoted or getting fired or getting married and getting divorced. Those are, are sort of the gold standard of, of trying to quantify and understand impacts from different life events on happiness. How much does money come into this? They always say that money can't buy you happiness, but um, I think a lot of people might dispute that. Yeah, so, so what we see in the data is that money does matter, um, but the mechanism here is that money is no guarantee for happiness, but it's being without money is often a guarantee for misery. So if you don't have money to put food on the table or roof over your head, that is a source of stress and worry and, and, and unhappiness. But money is no guarantee for happiness. Once we reach a certain level of income, additional 100 euros per month is not going to matter how you feel about your life or what kind of emotions you experience on a daily basis. It's the same with money as with everything else. The more we have of it, the less pleasure we get out of it. So the first piece of cake, wonderful. Piece number seven, Mm, not so great, and it's the same with money. So, so that's that's there is a diminishing marginal utility when it comes to money. Another mechanism, another nuance with money is that we care not only about the absolute income, but we also care about our relative income. And uh, to put in blunt terms, uh, you know, it's wonderful to have a I don't know BMW in the garage, but if the neighbor suddenly drives up in a Porsche then your BMW is not as good as, anymore. So we, we care about our position in the social hierarchy. Uh, so, so the relative income is, 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 is important. And there's actually an old sort of Russian uh, joke, I think, in, in, in this field that illustrates it quite, quite well. There's, there's a, a peasant uh, who has no cows, and then his neighbor has one cow. And then one day, God asks the first peasant, what can I do to make you happier? And the peasant say, says, Kill the cow, my neighbor's cow, and and I think that's 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 um, a point around you know the the importance of social comparisons. We compare ourselves to other people. Uh, that's also why we can see in in some of the experiments we, we've done that being exposed to uh, social media, being constantly bombarded with great news that happens from for all our friends, you know, here I am running an Ironman, here I am going to Bali, here I am, you know, look at my amazing apartment and my amazing wife. Mm. And that meets me on a Tuesday <laughs> where I'm eating, eating leftovers and working late. Uh, and, 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 and those images sometimes makes us evaluate our life less good than we actually should. So yes, the, the money matters, but there's a lot of, of nuances there. Are you finding as you go around the world um, meeting people, meeting governments, that, that people at governmental level are taking the subject of happiness more seriously? More and more, yes. Um, so some of the international organizations like the UN uh, have embraced 
uh, happiness and well-being as a new metric of progress. Uh, you also see organizations like the OECD have launched uh, the Better Life Index with 11 indicators uh, that are measuring progress. One of those uh, indicators is life satisfaction. Uh, you see uh, governments in, in the UK uh, incorporating uh, happiness in, in the way they measure progress. Famously, Bhutan, a small country in the eastern Himalayas, have been measuring gross national happiness instead of gross national product for the past 40 years and, and base political decisions on not is this going to make our people richer, but is this going to make our people happier? Uh, and also, interestingly, in, in the past couple of years, uh, what we've seen here in, in the UAE is a Minister of State for Happiness. Uh, so I, I, I see more and more countries embracing uh, the science, understanding that we need a new measure of progress, understanding that we need a scientific basis and a, a way to evaluate uh, the political decisions that we make with a common currency, which happiness is. For people listening to us chatting on this Emirates flight, any tips that you can pass on as to how to feel happier? <laughs> to order another glass of wine, maybe? Or? So, I mean, unfortunately, this seems to be like no single key for happiness. Like there is no single key for longevity. There's a lot of factors that impact your health and your longevity and also your happiness. So everything from your genetics, you're born more or less happy, to you know, what city do you live in, who do you compare yourself with, how much money are you making, what you commute to work, your relationships, and so on. So a lot of factors impact. But if there seems to be one universal best predictor of whether people are happy or not, it's their relationships. So Unfortunately, it's not a revelation. I mean, you don't need happiness research to tell you that our relationships matters. But that is a, a quite clear and consistent pattern, whether we look globally, nationally, or locally in the data. If I can't ask people directly how happy they are, I would ask them how happy are you with your relationships, because that gives me a pretty good indication of where they lie. So sitting on this train right now, if you're in a good relationship, you're going to feel happier than somebody who's not. At least that's what we see. And, and interestingly enough, we can, we, when we follow people over time, um, we can detect there is a boost in happiness from marriage, but there is also the reverse causation. Because when we rewind in time, we can see that those people that are getting married over that 10 or 20 year period we follow them, were also the people in the beginning that were slightly happier than those that didn't get married. Uh, basically, fewer people want to marry the grumpy ones. Uh, and, and that's also what we see in, in the data. So, there, so there's a, a cause and effect uh, issue there that uh, we're trying to disentangle. Okay, well, there you are. There you have it. Thank you very much for being our guest today here on Emirates World. I can tell that you're feeling happier already just hearing me <laughs> chat with Mike. And just a reminder that Mike is the CEO of the Happiness Research Institute in Copenhagen. He's also the author of the little book of Luca. Did well I done. get that right? Well done. My Danish is improving all the time. That's the Danish search for the world's happiest people. Mike, nice to see you. Likewise.